Hello, it's Alyssa Milano, and I can't wait for you to read my new book, Sorry Not Sorry. It's a collection of essays where I share my unapologetic thoughts on life, culture, activism, and motherhood. You'll learn some things about me that I know you've never heard before and share in my story as an activist. This book is such a big part of my heart, and so are you, and thank you for that. Sorry Not Sorry is available now everywhere books are sold. Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. Unless you've been hiding with your head in the sand, you know that abortion rights are under threat in the United States, where many people now have little or no access to abortion health care. The Catholic Church has been a driving force in that charge to deny women and pregnant people the right to control our own reproduction. But there are those within the church fighting to change that. To discuss, we've invited Jamie Manson onto the show. Jamie is an internationally known columnist for the National Catholic Reporter and president of Catholics for Choice. At the Supreme Court today, an historic upheaval. In a sweeping ruling that overturned a half a century of precedence, five justices ended the right of American women to choose abortion under the Constitution. On the role of women, he has said in the past, the door is closed on their ordination as priests, disappointing many Catholic liberals. State Attorney General's church report has been in the works for five years, but represents a decades-old disgrace in the Roman Catholic Church in Illinois. The AG tackling Catholic clergymen turned predators of young boys and girls and how the six dioceses across Illinois responded. While President Biden is focused on global issues this week, there is another battle that could directly affect the church-going president. The debate centers on whether Roman Catholic politicians who also support abortion rights should be allowed to receive communions. Hi, I'm Jamie Manson, and I've spent the last 20 years fighting for gender equality, LGBTQ inclusion, and reproductive freedom in the Catholic Church. Sorry, not sorry. Jamie, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Welcome to Sorry Not Sorry. I want to start by you just telling us who you are, your background, and a little bit about what you do. Absolutely. Thank you, Alyssa. I am thrilled to be here. My name is Jamie Manson. I am president of Catholics for Choice, an organization that is celebrating 50 years of existence this year. And I have spent the better part of 20 years fighting for the inclusion of women, of gender expansive people, LGBTQ people, and the fight for reproductive freedom in the Catholic Church. I mean, it seems like that's a really hard job. Yeah, I'm waiting to be, you know, one day to be affirmed in this work. But you have a thick skin, and I genuinely feel like God has called me to do this. It started, interestingly, at my first Holy Communion on Long Island. The priest actually denied my mother communion because she was divorced and remarried outside the church and didn't have $3,000 to pay the diocese for an annulment. And I feel like that was the birth of the vocation. And then when I was 12, I felt called to the priesthood. 
And this also was a very affirming journey, as you could imagine. And so I feel like that is really the beginning of my story. My mom tells a story about how when she got married to my father, they've been married for, I don't know, thousands of years, it feels like. But when she got married, their best man was Jewish and the Catholic Church wouldn't allow it. And my mom had to really protest. And she said, look, you say to love thy neighbor. My neighbor is Jewish. I think all of us have these stories, if not directly related, but these stories of those of us who are Catholic, I should say, these stories of trying to protest the system in just a daily way, not even, you know, the big things like you're fighting for, but just things like this is the person I want to be my best man at a wedding. We are recording this interview in the first week of Pride Month. And back in 2008, in your first column for the National Catholic Reporter, you came out as a lesbian. What was that reaction like? It's such an interesting thing because I'm amazed that I didn't think twice about it. And I think that says something about the editors at the time of that newspaper and also the beginning of this journey of not being able to keep my mouth shut in Catholic spaces. And I think, you know, there was, of course, the traditionalists who were horrified by this, that a lesbian who wasn't an avowed celibate, which is what the church demands of LGBTQ people would be daring to write in this newspaper. But I do think it was the start of a conversation that I have seen flourish over the last 15 years in a way that I never expected. And I think the Pope has had something to do with that, but more it's been Catholic, gay, lesbian, Catholic, lay people who have been brave in telling their stories, no matter how much they've been silenced. I want to come back to that, but I really want to dive in to Catholics for Choice. Tell me about it. Was that an organization that you started? Did it exist already? This is our 50th year. October 2023, we'll be celebrating the 50th year of our incorporation. So we started right around the Roe v. Wade decision. And it was just a group of very fierce feminist Catholic women in New York who wanted to make what wasn't really a radical argument which was that there's not one position on abortion in the Catholic Church. And there are people who disagree, and they disagree in good conscience. And the hierarchy needs to hear their voices. But how hard is it? Because basically, being a Catholic that is pro-choice, I feel like you're not just fighting for something that is a fringe part of the religion. This is pretty much the foundation. And it goes to, I think, speaking about male priests and the church cover-ups and all of the things that it seems are so oppressive about the Catholic Church. And mind you, I'm Catholic and I'm sending my children to Catholic schools. So I am also at fault in this belief that we can make it better from the inside. And using our voice is so incredibly vital. How do we continue to use our voices and feel like we're not screaming into the wind? Yeah, those are a lot of very good questions that I would love to unpack with you right now. First thing I think that's really important to say is that the majority of Catholics in the United States support abortion rights. And that is a narrative that the hierarchy has been able to bury through its silencing and its stigmatization of the issue. Statistically speaking, when you look at countries that make abortion a criminal act, abortion rates actually go up. 
It's when we take away criminalization and actually support women with healthcare and childcare and the things they need that abortion rates go down. And so what we're gonna see simply is more women dying. We have to have contraception available. We need to make sure that there are at-home abortion prescription drugs available for those who are in need so that we can make sure people's lives are not endangered even further by overturning Roe versus Wade. 63% of Catholics in the United States believe abortion should be legal in all or most cases. And 68% of Catholics did not want to see Roe versus Wade struck down a year ago. So we are actually the majority. And a lot of our work at Catholics for Choice is encountering and educating and emboldening people to be out loud and proud about their pro-choice Catholic values. And that is actually our campaign this year. We're asking people to go on social media, to go on our website, to tell their story, to really claim this identity, because we have ceded this truth to the Catholic right wing for much too long. This is across the board. The majority of Catholics support same-sex marriage. The majority of Catholics support trans rights. 98% of Catholic women have used contraceptives. But abortion is a particularly third rail issue where it is especially challenging to get people to be loud. And that's because of the 50-year disinformation campaign that the hierarchy has perpetrated, unfortunately. What are the fundamental ideals that keep you in the church? Because when you look at it, it calls anything other than love between a cisgender man and a cisgender woman a sin, right? It denies women access to the priesthood. It's been a driving force against reproductive choice for decades. Why do you stay within a church that seems so intent on just basically denying full access and fellowship to you and your community? That's a great question, and it is the question I'm asked most often. What I like to say is I have good days as a Catholic and bad days as a Catholic. On my good days, I stay in. And by stay in, I mean I live in a liminal place in the church. I have one foot in and one foot out because I am not welcomed fully. And sometimes for my own mental and psychic health, I have to keep one foot in and one foot out. But on those good days, I struggle because I do think there is something beautiful and true in the Catholic tradition. I love the sacramental theology, the idea that God can be everywhere, that God is everywhere, the idea of seeing holiness everywhere. I have seen Catholic nuns do absolutely miraculous, brave, intrepid work. And they do that because of that sacramentality and because of that deep social justice tradition in the Catholic Church that I think is the crown jewel of the tradition. So that's my good days. On my bad days, it's because Catholic or not Catholic, this church is taking away your fundamental human and civil rights. The pervasiveness of power that the Catholic Church has in every country in the world, over governments, in the courts, with their lobbyists that lobby politicians, they're taking away your rights. I think the 
pervasive political power of Catholics often goes underappreciated. And not just the power of bishops, but the power of Catholic laity. For example, all five of the Supreme Court justices that struck down Roe last year are Catholic. Neil Gorsuch was raised Catholic. He does say he's Episcopal now, but he's still Catholic. And Amy Coney Barrett was put on that court specifically because of her right-wing Catholic views against abortion. So I always like to say, if you're, whether you're Catholic or not, you need to care about the power that this church is wielding over your rights. So much power, so much money. And we've seen individual bishops deny communion to politicians. You mentioned politicians who support abortion rights. Let's talk about why that matters. Absolutely. To me, this is one of the most grievous sins committed by bishops recently, the sex abuse cover-up obviously being the worst of the worst. But to use our most sacred ritual, our Eucharist, our sacrament of communion, and to exploit it for political coercion, to weaponize it, is one of the most heinous things that's happening in the church. And when you take someone like President Biden, for whom the mass means so much to him. He goes to mass weekly. He always has his rosary. These are powerful, life-giving symbols for him that have gotten him through times of profound suffering. And to do that, to try to coerce him into not being brave about his own pro-choice Catholic values, I think it's spiritual violence, really. I think we have congressional representatives who are Catholic Democrats who are pro-choice who are Eucharistic ministers on Sundays and are living in fear that they can't do this ministry that is so meaningful to them. To use this as a weapon of political intimidation, to me, is truly spiritual violence. Well, church and state are clashing tonight. A declaration from San Francisco's Catholic Archbishop is making headlines worldwide. Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione has declared House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is barred from receiving communion unless she ends her support for abortion rights. This is really a personal question, and you and I are friends, so, you know, tell me to fuck off. But, you know, one of the tenets of Catholic church life is this idea of confession, that we confess to a priest the things we've done that the church considers sin. And I do want to state that we are asking a male priest for forgiveness because there are no female priests in Catholicism. So if a woman is going into confession, she is asking a male priest for forgiveness for her sins. How does that work specifically for you? I must be honest, I have not participated in the sacrament of confession for years, specifically because of that corrosive gender dynamic. It's wild. It is wild. Unfortunately, it's used as an instrument of power, particularly in abortion, where women have to go and plead for forgiveness and ask to throw themselves on the mercy of the church for making the choices they needed to make. And so I think that it's just part of that fundamentally corrupt power of male domination that is at work in Catholicism. A lot of people talk about the problem in Catholicism being clericalism, that priests thinking that they're gods. It's really radical patriarchy because it's not just priests that get assigned this sense of being gods. There are laymen that also, you know, wield power and influence. It's at its core a worship of the man 
that is the fundamental sin of the priesthood. And this notion that God, who created the universe, somehow was rendered powerless by female anatomy is, to me, the ultimate rejection of the greatness of God, really. But is it a larger picture of just the suppression of sexual life in general? For example, it requires its priests and nuns to be celibate. It requires unmarried members to be celibate. It requires LGBTQ people to remain celibate unless they enter into a straight marriage. Like, how much of this is about suppression of sexuality and sexual life? It's all rooted in the same concepts, really, and they go back to the fourth century, to be quite honest with you this concept of the act of sex being fundamentally sinful and beyond redemption. And that's an idea we get from St. Augustine, again, in the fourth century. And that has carried through. And that's why we still have these celibacy rules, because there is an idea that virginity is a higher state than the married life is. And there's also a fundamental idea of very rigid gender roles, so that God made males for a very specific purpose, which is leadership and authority. And God made women specifically to be vessels and servants and nurturers. And that, what they call gender complementarity, really dominates the entire sexual sphere and is the basis for all of these teachings that you just mentioned. So the fourth century and little to none evolution since then, really one of the oldest and most powerful, if not the oldest and most powerful organizations on the planet, the richest the largest. If anyone has ever gone to the Vatican, you just, I was so overwhelmed, but also so much of it made sense. So how do you, how would you advise Catholics to work against some of these policies from the inside? Yeah, I think there's not one right way to do it. I think you can push for change from the outside and push for change from the inside. The important thing is that you are loud about it, I think. Um, Sister Joan famously said, if you're going to stay loud, if you're going to leave loud. And I think that's absolutely right. Obviously, money is one of the fundamental ways to take away their power. There is a real crisis in the U.S. church that there's a lack of priests. Parishes are closing constantly. A lot of dioceses are in bankruptcy because of sex abuse payments. In this petition for Chapter 11 bankruptcy filed this morning, the Diocese of Santa Rosa estimates its assets between $10 and $50 million and its liabilities to be the same because of a flood of new lawsuits from survivors of clergy sexual abuse. So there is something really in a shambles out this church, and I think that's why they wield so much political influence, because they have to get power somehow. And unfortunately, there's a lot of dark right-wing money in pushing an anti-abortion agenda, an anti-LGBTQ agenda. And I think they benefit from that enormously. And so I think the most important thing is for lay people to stand up in whatever way they can and say, not in the name of my faith, not in the name of this tradition, will you take away human rights? I heard a very powerful story just yesterday of a parish in Cleveland where a pastor who's apparently usually considered more liberal, big air quotes on that, it's a low bar, was giving a transphobic homily, and there was a trans woman in the congregation. And in the middle of his talking, she stood up and she went right up to him at that pulpit and said, you baptized me. You not think I am beloved of God. And he was just silenced. So it's very powerful. We don't have to come out that dramatically. But saying no, not letting them have that stranglehold on the Catholic narrative, 
is really important. And saying, I support gay rights, I support women's equality, I support abortion rights because of my faith, not in spite of it, is really important. And we talk about the evolution of the church. We do have a pope right now who, in some ways, is one of the more progressive popes that we've had. And just as an example, his predecessor called homosexuality an intrinsic moral evil. But Pope Francis said, if someone is gay and he searches for the Lord and has goodwill, who am I to judge? Has there been any shift on abortion rights? What I will say, I want to just speak to Pope Francis and gay and lesbian issues very quickly. What he has been clear about is that same-sex marriage is sin and God cannot bless same-sex marriage. I have always said that as much progress as he's made in terms of opening the conversation, making the conversation a lot safer than it was when I came out in 2008, has been very beneficial. He came out against the criminalization of homosexuality a few months ago. Unfortunately, he only comes out on these issues in the press. And in the media, he never actually writes this in the catechism. So we need him to actually document these things, you know, in doctrine. And that could be a strategy for him to get the conversation going, to make it safe, and then having that development of doctrine, as they call it. But to continue to say that same-sex marriage is sin, I think it's so important to remember how profoundly shame-making that is when a mother has three children and one is gay, and so one can't get married in the Catholic Church and the other two can. What it says is God cannot bless my other child's love. My other child's love is not capable of goodness and holiness. And so it still creates a superiority among heterosexual relationships. And so I think that's an important thing that I always like to talk about as a queer person in the church. In terms of abortion, oh, he just came out again, unfortunately, Pope Francis, and called it, said life begins at conception, said it, called abortion homicide. He's even very dramatic. He's even called abortion providers hitmen. He's used this analogy that I think is actually really destructive. But what he has done, the only thing I could say, well, he's done two things. Uh, one more problematic than the other. The first is when he started as Pope, he actually made it possible for priests to forgive what they consider the sin of abortion and to extend that mercy. And so it's not a big excommunication case, you know, that the Vatican has to adjudicate. Problematic, but still some form of step or some form of mercy being extended to these women. He's also said, and this has been more helpful to the U.S. bishops who are really have really gone rogue and are radically anti-chose. He has said that you are obsessed with this issue. Because the U.S. bishops have said, this is the preeminent issue of life in this country. And Pope Francis fundamentally disagrees with that and said, you're obsessed with this issue. You have to be concerned with all of the issues of life and justice. And so that has been helpful. But still, we've got a, we've got a long way to go. And the fact is, Alyssa, and this is to me one of the most staggering statistics that I am conscious of in my work, one in four abortion patients in the U.S. identifies as Catholic. So Catholics are having abortions. Women who are sitting in the pews, women who are teaching Sunday school, who are giving out the Eucharist, reading from the lectionary, washing the priest's dishes and robes, they are all having abortions. And they hear a message every weekend that they are complicit in murder. And that is a profound pastoral crisis that Catholics don't want to look at, and they need to. I'm going to ask you this next question, even though it's kind of rhetorical. Do you think if women were allowed to be members of the priesthood— some of these more extreme positions inside the church would change? Yeah, my answer to that is somewhat controversial among some women who are pushing for a church that's much more of a discipleship of equals. 
I do think it would make a difference. And I think it's the only thing that will make a difference. Blessed be the name. Catholic masses worldwide follow the same order with routine responses. But here's something irregular, her. This is my body, which will be given up for you. The celebrant of this mass is not Father Kathleen. These honorific titles do create a sense that, you know, somebody's better than somebody else. Kathleen Blank Reether says she was ordained as a Roman Catholic priest two years ago, a forbidden female in a male religious hierarchy. Do you think that we could achieve that? Ah, in our life, in my, in our lifetime, I'm not so sure. There's a possibility of some form of the diaconate or deacons, women deacons. That's something Pope Francis has been studying for years now. Would it be a subdeacon to the man deacon? Very likely. A priesthood, I think, is going to be very hard. Pope Francis has been very clear on his opposition to that. Again, because God can't work through the female anatomy. God is rendered powerless by our bodies, right? But it has to be. Every field, whether it's medicine or government, has had to welcome women, has had to change through the welcoming of women. Are those first generations of women doctors and women politicians difficult and a grind? They still are. Is there deep misogyny? Yes. But we're not going to achieve that change until women can take up those roles and work with authority. And so I think the same is true of the Catholic Church. And again, because the Catholic Church is so pervasive in every country, any country that's radically patriarchal gets a blessing from the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is saying, that's right. Yeah, that's what God wants, patriarchy. If the Catholic Church were to one day say, no, women and men are truly equal and God can work the same way through women, men, and gender expansive people, that would change. That would put pressure on patriarchal societies throughout the world. And that is transformative. So you briefly touched on this before, but I want to unpack it a little bit more. In, in 2015, Pope Francis opened a mercy window, a temporary mercy window, where people who had abortions could more easily obtain forgiveness for what the church considers a mortal sin. Is that progress or is it actually more aggressive? Just this very idea that abortion is something which requires forgiveness is one that is so hard to reconcile for me. Yeah, I think that he opened the door of mercy for all manner of many sins in 2015. He called it the Jubilee Year of Mercy. And what he ended up doing in 2016 was this mercy that he extended to women who've had abortions. Actually, he made part of the permanent teaching. So he actually changed something in that case. But yes, it is deeply problematic because it keeps reinforcing the sinfulness of this woman, her complicity in what the church understands to be murder and still says that she has excommunicated herself by choosing an abortion. And so it is still shame creating, it still creates stigma. And so what I would like to see the church do to let women and people who have been pregnant who have had abortions tell their stories unafraid and unashamed. That is what needs to happen. As long as you keep framing it in this, you need the forgiveness of the church, you should be ashamed of yourself, it's still going to be spiritually violent for women. And so we need to be able to tell those stories safely. There's still no space to do that. And this offer extension of mercy doesn't do that either. One of the parts for me that's so hard to wrap my head around, and it is a totally related issue, is that the church for the past century or so opposed access to birth control, which obviously is going to lead to more unwanted pregnancy, which would lead to more abortions. 
Do you think that the church's position on birth control in this post-Roe era is going to change? And also, how does Catholics for Choice fit in here? We've been working on issues related to contraception from our beginning as well, because they're so essential, because access to contraception is a life or death issue, whether you're talking about the pill, whether you're talking about access to condoms, where AIDS is still an epidemic. And so this, to me, is one of the most craven things about Catholic teaching, is that you have this absolute ban on abortion, but also this absolute ban on contraceptives. And why is that? There's only one reason that could be. And that is because they have a very rigid understanding of women and what our role is supposed to be. And it was John Paul II, you remember him? I'm sure Pope John Paul II, who said women have our most essential vocation is motherhood. And he said he wanted to give women this to feel good. And he talked about women having a feminine genius. What that feminine genius actually was, was our uterus. That is what this just spells over and over, is that they have a very rigid understanding of what women's roles need to be. And anything that challenges that understanding is something they will get very aggressive fighting against. I often like to say, remember, the Catholic Church does not ordain women. It does not think women are capable of making decisions. They're not allowed to make decisions or do anything authoritative. Access to abortion gives women access, independence, freedom, the right to make decisions with their own bodily autonomy. Those Republican leaders who are trying to weaponize the use of the law against women. Will we say, how dare they? How dare they tell a woman what she can do and cannot do with her own body? How dare they? How dare they try to stop her from determining her own future? How dare they try to deny women their rights and their freedoms? Of course, the Catholic Church is going to be opposed to anything that gives women that sort of power. Okay, so if I could, let's say, wave a magic wand and you and the Pope are sitting across the table from each other, having a conversation. What would you tell him? I like to think he did read my column back in the day uh, when, I was, <laughs> when I was a columnist. I'll never know. What I would tell him to do is extend his deep listening, his deep theology of encounter, which is really beautiful, to women. He has not done that. He listens to men. My understanding is when he has lunch every day, he only has lunch with men. He does not engage with women at all. Even the progress we've made on gay issues, he talks to gay men. Does he talk to lesbians? Not that I'm aware of. And I would be aware of this. And so he has never really, he has unfortunately a deep, what he would call machismo. He wouldn't say that about himself. He criticizes machismo. And yet he does not listen to women. He does not see us as equal. And so that is what I would want him to do, is start extending that deep theology of encounter and listening to women. That's the only way we're going to have transformation on these issues. There's an increasing trend of people, especially young people, leaving the church. 
I think I would say to him, moderating the position on abortion would bring more people back to the church, would bring more young people to the church. I think it's so important. Yeah. I mean, they're just pushing away young people with these Catholic schools that are firing gay and lesbian employees and trans students getting kicked out of their schools. All they're doing is driving away because a lot of Catholic students, I went to Catholic high school. I loved it. We learn about the social justice tradition of the church, and it's so beautiful and inspiring and being in solidarity with the most marginalized and vulnerable. And it's so exciting. And then they do the opposite and treat LGBTQ people as expendable and silence women. And so they are just driving people away and driving people away. And they like to think the Catholic Church that they can control information. And yet you have a whole new generation of young Catholics who've had their own platforms on social media forever. And so the idea that they can't think and speak their minds is so, it's just a crisis, a conflict right there. Also, I'm thinking about my son's going to middle school later in the fall. And I mentioned before, he's going to go to Catholic school. And we chose this particular Catholic school because it is progressive, but it also has the things about Catholicism that we love so much, this sense of community, this sense of service to your community, leadership through service, all of the things that, you know, not only parenting should involve, but in this world of technology and social media, it has become so hard to instill those values into our children because they can just, with the flip of a finger, look at, you know, whoever who seems to have more than them, or this whole idea of social contagion. And to choose this school was more about how do I balance the technology and the social media social contagion with the social contagion of being a responsible part of your community, because that to me is also a social contagion. Like, I want all those things for my kids. And I look at, you know, this is Los Angeles. This is Los Angeles. There is a pro-life day. (laughs) Students from Kennedy Catholic High School gathered Monday for a different kind of school project. They were making protest signs. I don't know of a student that isn't walking out. Last week, the school said that the two teachers, Paul Danforth and Michelle Beatty, whom they called highly capable, gifted, and qualified, voluntarily resigned their positions. Many students and parents feel that the two teachers were forced out because they were gay. Now, they say when I questioned the school about it, the school is really wonderful. They said, you can leave your child, keep your child home that day. And I was like, of course, I will be respectful to what the school is asking, but also like the activist in me is, oh, no, that day we're going to stay home maybe, but we're going to have a a lesson about being pro-choice. It's just tricky. Milo's graduation, a mom came over to me whose daughter is going to this Catholic school, and she was like, I'm really nervous about the dress codes and all the things. And I said, yeah, I get that. I get that. But my hope is that like, They get so much good out of the community service aspect because it's actually part of their curriculum. They have to go volunteer places. I don't know any private school that is not affiliated with a religion that has volunteering and community service as part of the curriculum. So it's really tricky. It is. And it's part of the faith tradition. It's part of living out your faith is doing that service. So there's this very deep connection of meaningful connection between the work and community and seeing God, even in broken places. It's very rich and it's a hard thing, place to be in. And I think that's why Catholics for Choice, so much of our work is education because Catholics have been silenced from questioning issue of abortion. 
And again, there's so much disinformation about abortion that has been peddled by Catholic right-wing forces for decades that we have to start from the ground up and talk to people just even about human reproduction and then work our way up from there. And so we use the Catholic tradition to make our pro-choice argument, and we find that very enlightening for people. Part of me feels like, and maybe this is just me trying to make it all okay in my head, but I feel like my kids are going to get a lot, especially with how divided the country is right now, they're going to get a lot of this perspective from the far right about these issues and the patriarchy and all of the things. And I feel like to prepare them for that now in a place where they can be exposed to those views and then come home and have conversations in a safe space about them, I think might be okay because I would much rather have these conversations now then have them continue to go to these very progressive schools and then go out into the real world and not have the tools in which to make these arguments against the oppression of anyone or the intolerance of anyone. So that's how I'm looking at it. Let's have this conversation again in a year and see how it, <laughs> I'm feeling then. But right now, I'm hopeful. I think you're being a good Catholic by doing that. I often like to say Catholics have a very rich theological and intellectual tradition. We have many sources for how we develop our ideas. We're not a biblically-based faith. We're not evangelicals. We don't live in these black and white universes. The Bible is just one source for Catholics of when we seek truth. And our fundamental idea of conscience is one of our oldest, and that is that, you know, what the, this is official Catholic teaching is that in all that we say and do, at the end, our individual conscience, we have to follow that faithfully. What our conscience tells us is just and right is what we have to do, even if it disagrees with Catholic teaching. And so by having those conversations, I think you're honoring what's great about the tradition, whether the bishops tell you that or not, you are. You're just doing such incredible work. How can my listeners support what you're doing? Definitely visit us at catholicsforchoice.org. If you're Catholic, we're running a campaign called I Am a Catholic for Choice. It's to do that emboldening work. Uh, and so we have a pledge, a very simple pledge based on common beliefs around Catholicism and abortion. So it's catholicsforchoice.org slash pledge. We would love it if you participated. Take a picture. We have signs that say, I'm a Catholic for choice. Share them on social media. Just help us take back that narrative is really essential. And join some of our seminars. We run sessions. They're free. Just helping teach Catholics how to talk about abortion, how to discern the issue themselves, and how to talk to their families about the issue. Because it is morally complex. And I think we can't be afraid to say that that abortion is morally complex for a lot of people, including Catholics. And so we have to make space for the questions and conversation. And that's what we're trying to do at Catholics for Choice. And finally, what gives you hope? What gives me hope is we talk to um, pro-choice Catholics all the time. We go to clinics, healthcare clinics where abortion is provided, and we train providers on how to speak to Catholics who come in morally conflicted. And so it's the number of people out there who are saying, I support abortion because of my Catholic faith, not in spite of it. Tell me more. Tell me how I can change this conversation. It's that desire among Catholics and other people of faith to go community by community and change the narrative around this issue, transform hearts and minds around abortion, get rid of that stigma and that silence, and really understand this as a deep social justice issue. Well, Jamie Manson, you give me hope. 
Thank you for all you do and for being a part of the podcast. Thank you, Alyssa. It's been an absolute pleasure and honor. I don't care if you're Christian. In fact, I will fight for you to have your religious liberty and practice your Christianity. I believe in that. I don't believe in Christianity, which means that you do not get to dictate the way I live my life based on your religion. I don't care what the Bible says. You have every right in the world, all those women who identify with your religion have every right in the world to not get an abortion, to not take birth control, but they do not have the right to dictate my life and what I decide to do with my body. I don't care about your goddamn religion. I'm so tired of having nonstop conversations about what the Bible says you live your life in the way that you interpret the Bible. Again, I don't care, but you don't get to take the Bible and tell me, well, the Bible says this in this chapter and this verse, I don't care. I don't care, I don't believe in it, and I have the right based on our constitution to not believe in it. Not in the name of my faith. Faith is complicated. On the one hand, it is deeply personal. On the other, it often exists in the context of large and powerful organizations with their own rules and agendas. As a Catholic, I'd be lying if I didn't say that the positions of the church, which minimize women, LGBTQ people, and other marginalized groups, did not have me sometimes questioning my faith. I believe in a loving God, and yet I believe in choice. I believe that love is love, and the version of God that my church paints is often very different from the version of God I feel in my innermost heart. But if those of us with differing views of important social issues leave our churches, who will be left to try and steer them in a better, holier direction? Who on the inside will be standing between the power of the church and the power of our faith? It's lonely. It can be depressing. But it's essential. And I hope that those of you who believe will continue to work to improve the religious organizations to which you belong. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our producer is Ben Jackson, audio editing and engineering by Maciej Lewandowski, and music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. Don't forget to rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry, not sorry.